We have been in this uh, a series of conversations about about prayers. Uh, we've been talking about prayers uh, from the perspective of people like me, people who are really amateurs in prayer, not some of you I know are prayer warriors, and so uh, this is going to be review for you. But we've been talking about prayers, and we've been specifically looking at, at examples of prayers. Some of us, we don't want you to explain it to us. We want you to draw us a picture, and that's what the Bible is doing. We're looking at places where the Bible has drawn us a picture of prayer. And the picture we're going to look at today is a picture of uh, the disciples in the early church praying for boldness. Uh, several years ago, uh, when, when we lived in California, there was a restaurant that uh, had this slogan, and, and I, I titled the message today uh, after it. It's, it's Go Bold or Go Home. And um, so that's the title of the message. And uh, they had they did a lot of marketing uh, showing, and here's, a, here's an example. Um, there's a, a menu, you know, the plastic tray with the paper in it. They put one of these uh, plastic, uh, uh, one of these sheets in the in the paper. So an ode to the bold, and I know the words are too small there, we can't read them. But it talks about all the all the great things, the the heroes who are trying to bring back the handlebar mustache and and things like that. People who are willing to kind of uh, risk a belly flop in order to achieve some goal that they're they're after. And and the idea behind this marketing campaign was was that there's kind of two meanings for bold. Uh, one of them is strong. So we talk about you know, uh, a, a bold color. The, the, the carpet in here is a bold color red. Or we talk about a strong flavor. But the other meaning of bold is that, is that one, the idea of, of, uh, uh, facing a risk, doing something courageous in order to achieve some kind of a goal. Um, and, and so, so they were trying to kind of play off the two saying, you know, we need to, to have a restaurant that's as bold as, as we are or something like that. And that was the idea. But, you know, it's really kind of silly because the whole point of a, of a chain restaurant is to eliminate risk. It's so that you don't have to worry about what kind of food is going to be in there, um, uh, unless you would have to worry anyway. I mean, but but you 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 know what's going to be there. You know if it was there the, uh, three weeks ago, it's going to be there now. It's going to taste the same way. It's going to be prepared in the same way. If you go across the world, it's going to be exactly the same. Uh, the whole point of a chain restaurant is to eliminate risk. Last year we went to Europe. And we ate at different restaurants in Greece and Turkey and Italy and Germany. But on our way home, we're flying back. We've kind of had enough Europe to last us for a while. And so we were in the Frankfurt airport and we had uh, lunch at this restaurant here. Um, so uh, um, we, we're loving it at McDonald's is what it says. Uh, um, so we're loving it. So uh, we ate at McDonald's at the airport in Frankfurt because because we could, and we knew what we'd get there. There was no risk associated with that. It was a very, very uh, boring and bland um, hamburger meal. Nothing wrong with it, but it was just very predictable. There was no excitement in that meal. And for a restaurant, that's probably a good thing. It's good to it's good to know that there are restaurants out there you can fall back on, maybe, or maybe you just make them your primary restaurant. I don't know if I'd enjoy a future where the the, where, where the franchise wars are over and Taco Bell, you know, is now every restaurant. I don't know if I'd like that, but, but I like the idea that I have that choice, um, when it comes to restaurants. When it comes to the church, it's a terrible idea. The church was never meant to be predictable or safe or risk-free. And when the church is not bold, the church is boring. At the, at the, at the back of your Bible, in the book of Revelation, at the beginning, before you get to the really weird stuff, there's there's this block of seven letters. Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. 
And they're kind of like a performance appraisal, you know, from your boss that says, says, you know, here's your strengths and here's your weaknesses. Here's some areas you need to work on. And, and they're all like that. And in none of those letters does Jesus say, here's the problem with you as a church. You're too risky. Jesus never says that to one of those churches. He never says your insurance premiums are through the roof. You've got to kind of damp it down a little bit. He never says that because the church is not meant to be safe. It's not meant to be um, risk-free. And when the church is not bold, the church is bland, even boring. And you may be thinking, no, no, I, I like I like my church. My church is just fine the way it is. And that may be true. You may like the church. But there are people you know who say, no, it's really boring. And, and they're the ones who aren't with you today, the ones who, who declined your invitation. When you said, come to me to the church. And they said, thanks, no. Let, let, let me show you some pictures. This happened uh, uh, earlier this month. Um, see if you can guess what's going on in, in these pictures. So Berlin, London, Sydney, Tokyo. Um, any ideas what, what, uh, what's going on in those pictures? The iPhone release, that's right. Let's see the next picture. So people camped out for uh, days and in some cases for, for more than a week so they could be first in line, get that iPhone 6. Um, they're fanboys and, and uh, we can look at them and kind of say, well, you know, it's a phone, you know, God bless them, you know, everybody needs to have a hobby, you know, but, but those people really kind of need to get a life. They need, you know, you know, I mean, come on, it's a phone, right? And there are people who look at the church, for those of us who go to church on Sundays, and they look at us kind of the same way we look at people who get in line for an iPhone. We say, you know, that's great for them, you know, God bless them, but but I have better things to do with my time. There's nothing going on in that building that's worth me getting up early on a Sunday. The same way we look at them and say, there's no reason I'm going to camp out on a street so I can get an iPhone. People look at the church and they say, the church is boring. And I'll tell you what, if you're looking at me, I am a big part of the problem. I am a Presbyterian, okay? And worse than that, I'm a convert to Presbyterianism. You know, you know, kind of the most intense people are, are the converts. So I, I grew up in a different uh, Christian uh, tradition, and I became a convert to Presbyterianism. And Presbyterians are all about decently and in order. In fact, one of our favorite verses of Scripture is this one, all things should be done decently and in order. Um, we, if there's too much excitement, if God is doing something a little unplugged and we're not kind of clear exactly what's going on here, um, we don't know what's going on, our first response is to kind of damp it down. So um, that's the way Presbyterians tend to think. And so if you're looking at me and saying, you know, well, you're, you're the reason the worship service is so boring, you're right. But I'll tell you what, Sunday is only part of the problem. Sunday is the tip of the iceberg. Or maybe a better way of looking at it would be to say, Sunday is a symptom of a bigger problem. And I think the best way to think about that is this. What's the last thing God did for you? What, you know, what has God done for you lately? You know, okay, okay. So, so yes, okay. And God did all kinds of things for us today. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish all the things. We, we count on God. Um, the sun rose this morning. We have breath going in and out of us. We're alive. So God did that. Um, but He did that for seven billion other people. What did He do for you this morning? What did God do for you this morning? See, for, for too many Christians, the answer is 
Not much. And it's not because God is unwilling or unable to do great things. I mean, the sun did rise this morning. God can do some pretty amazing stuff. But for too many Christians, we haven't leaned into God. And so when we ask that question, what has God done for us lately? The answer is, you know, I had breakfast. I got an iPhone. Our answers are so bland that people look at the church and they say what we say when we look at a line in front of an iPhone store. We say, all right, everybody needs a hobby. You know, it's not for me, it's for you. There's nothing going on in there that's so exciting that I can imagine getting up on Sunday to do. So what I want to do is I want to look at a time in the early church when the church leaned into God, when they had the choice, should we go for something that's kind of bland and predictable, something very very uh, uh, much in keeping with Pastor Luke's sensibilities, or should we lean into God? Should we lean into God and, and do something a little risky? So I want to look at this passage of Scripture um, that we just heard. Um, it's from the, the this one unified story in chapter 3 and 4 of Acts. I want to catch you up really quickly. What had happened is Jesus was executed a couple of months ago maybe, and he uh, he died on a Friday, rose on Sunday. He spent 40 days um, in, in a number of times appearing to all kinds of uh, uh, groups of his disciples. But after 40 days, he left the earth. And uh, after 50 days, the Holy Spirit came and the church got on fire. Peter and John, who had been wimpy, uh, they got they got a spine and they started going to the temple every day to talk about Jesus. But one day before they even got there, on their way into the temple... They saw a man who was lame, and in those days, that was the, the, the way you dealt with uh, lame people, the SSI disability, in those days was you begged. And so this guy was laid by somebody at the, at the front door of the, the temple, and as they walked in, he's sitting there with his little cup, hoping somebody will throw him some alms, and they see him, and Peter says, I don't have any money, chief, but what I do have, I'll give you. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And the lame man gets up. He's been lame since birth, but he gets up and he runs and jumps and leaps and praises his way into the temple with Peter and John. And the crowd comes together. They say, who is this? This is He looks like the guy who's been begging all this time, but he's been here forever. I see him every time I come here. And they said, what's going on? And Peter says, let me tell you what's going on. You remember Jesus, the, the guy... You killed a couple of months ago. Well, he's alive and he's now in heaven with God and his spirit is living in us and we're doing amazing things in his name. And that draws, the, the, the crowd is excited by that, but it draws the temple authorities and they arrest them. And after a night in the clink, they're brought before the, um, the, the temple authorities here. So that's where we pick up the story and they say, they say, what name did you use to do this? They say, in the name of Jesus. And Peter gives another kind of a summary of his earlier sermon. And they say, well, stop doing that. And Peter says, well, if you think it's right for us to pay attention to you instead of God, you just have to judge that for yourself. But we're going to pay attention to God. So they thread them some more. And then they realize they can't do anything. Too many people saw this miracle. Um, they can't punish you for for healing a, a, a man who's who's been lame since birth. So they say, well, don't do it anymore or or else. And then they send them home. So they go home 
And that's where we hear the story. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, it is you who said this in this song we used to hear in Sunday school, Psalm 2. They said, we, we recognize what's going on here. Uh, David, David wrote this, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The king of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and his Messiah. And they say, wow, I realize what's going on here. Uh, that was always a song we learned in Sunday school. You know, Psalm 2, it's kind of cool, got a nice beat, right? They, you know, but, but they didn't understand what it meant. And now they're realizing it's going on in their midst. And so they say, in this city, in fact, both Herod, who is more or less a Jew, and Pontius Pilate, who is a Roman, with the Gentiles, the other Romans, and the peoples of Israel, they gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You say, wow, I suddenly realized what's going on right around me. It's this thing that you had taught me about years ago. And so then they pray. They say, and now, Lord, look at their threats and keep us safe. Look at their threats, Lord, and put us in witness protection. Look at their threats, Lord, and help us to go undercover. No, that's not what they prayed, is it? They said, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. They said, look at your, look at their threats. They didn't say stop them from threatening us. They didn't say keep us safe. They said, make us bold. Make us bold, Lord. And then they continue, while you stretch out your hand to heal. Isn't that interesting? They don't say, they don't say, while you smite them, while you teach them, that Jesus was really Lord all along and they didn't know it? They say, while you stretch out your hand to heal. They say, God's going to keep doing miracles as long as we keep asking for them. So they say, grant to your servants to speak your word while you stretch out your hand to heal and signed and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then I love this next passage, the next, the, the conclusion of this part. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God with boldness. How many of you were like within 500 miles on Thursday? <laughs> did, did the place in which you were gathered shake? The place I was in shook, and I didn't hear anybody speaking the Word of God with boldness. I heard holy cow and variations on that. Um, <laughs> I love this idea that they can go through something, maybe something like we went through on Thursday, and instead of, you know, freaking out and jumping under the table or out the window or whatever you're supposed to do in an earthquake, um, uh, standing in the doorway, all those things they teach us, instead of doing that, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God with boldness. I love the way that this story ends. It, this, this, this prayer that they pray, the prayer that they pray has two parts. It says, um, if you if you go back just a, um, a screen, it says, um, "Grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness." And then it says, "While you reach out your while you stretch out your hand to heal." Uh, there was a missionary 200 years ago, a man named William Carey. He was one of the first missionaries from England to India, and he said this. He said, 
expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. This idea that God still has a hand that He can stretch out and heal. And I will attempt great things for God. I will preach in God's name. I will talk about about the things that Jesus has done um, and in particular the things that Jesus has done that I've been a witness to. I I, I know if you're like me, um, there's a pushback place here, which is which is, but we're not supposed to be reckless. And I agree, we're not supposed to be reckless. But boldness is not the same thing as recklessness. Um, if you want to know reckless, YouTube, go to YouTube and search for GoPro. Okay, people do the most amazingly crazy things with um, with a Go, GoPro camera attached to their head, and you know, again. God bless them, but uh, but that's not me. That's reckless. Um, we 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 get a we get a letter every year from our insurance company that says that says please don't have candles in your Christmas Eve service, and the reason is because around the country two or three churches burn down every Christmas because people you know the candle accident goes awry or whatever you know some kind of a terrible candle tragedy, um, and I don't mean to diminish that, but. But the the way we have responded is we've said no. That's why we have insurance. If we didn't have, if if we behaved irresponsibly, if we behaved recklessly, that would be a bad thing. But the reason we have insurance, the reason we put the little cups around them to catch the wax and so forth, that's so we can do the thing we think we're supposed to do. Boldness is doing the thing we think we're supposed to do. To be courageous enough to follow where we think God is calling us. Recklessness is to do the same thing without doing anything sensible around it. God gave us brains. So recklessness is not boldness, but we are called to be bold. So let me let me kind of wrap this up with two observations. The first observation is this. Do you see yourself like the disciples did? Do you see yourself in God's story? See, for me, most of the time I don't. Most of the time... I see God, or I get a glimpse of God once in a while in my story. And I don't have that sense of realization, wow, this is the thing I've been reading about. This is the thing that was in the Bible the other day. I, I, in my reading, I noticed this thing, and I'm part of this story. I think to the extent that we are leaning into God, to the extent that we are trying to be bold in God's service, we will see ourselves in God's story and not be wondering, where is God in my story? So the first question is this. Do you see yourself in God's story? The second question is coming. And it's, it's can you imagine being excited? Can you imagine being excited enough about church to camp out in front of it overnight? To form a line? I mean, to be as excited about church as an iPhone. I mean, is that is that a high bar? I mean, should it be a high bar? Imagine if because you were leaning into to, to, to God's story, because you saw yourself as part of this great thing that God is doing, you were as excited about your faith as people are about iPhones. When I first came here, the, the nominating committee asked me, you know, kind of a billion questions and vice versa. But uh, somewhere along the way, I, I mentioned to them that, that a that uh, uh, a song that has been an inspiration to me uh, in my Christian walk has, has been the song by uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. 
Um, and, and the reason it has been an inspiration is because long before I did anything that I thought of was, was very bold, um, I heard in this song something that appealed to me. And so this song, The Great Adventure, sustained me or, or excited me or kind of, I, I, I heard resonances of it when I, when I went to seminary, when I, when I quit my job, um, and, and entered graduate school in my forties, when I took my, my family across country and for three years we lived out of savings. When, when I began doing prison ministry and went into the, the, probably the place on earth I'm most familiar with that I would do anything to stay out of, um, uh, when I have done the things that have been the boldest or the places where I felt that God was most a part of my life, or I should say, the most I was part of God's story. So I just want to read you through the lines. I know the choir has sung this, and, and um, I, I want to read through this and ask you to kind of think about them yourselves. The, the, the writer says, I started out this morning in the usual way, chasing thoughts inside my head of all I had to do today. Another time around the circle, try to make it better than the last. I opened up the Bible and I read about me. It said I'd been a prisoner and God's grace had set me free. And somewhere between the pages, it hit me like a lightning bolt. I saw a big frontier in front of me and I heard someone say, let's go. Saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace. Let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is life like no other. No, this is the great adventure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us not to a life of safety or security, not in earthly sense at least, but to be part of the great thing that you are doing in the world. And it does not reflect well on your church that any congregation anywhere is boring or bland. And so, Lord, I pray you would give us ears to hear your call and give us boldness as you gave your early church to follow where you call us so that we can be part of your great adventure. In Jesus' name, amen.